You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Making Sang and Amanda Webb host a high-energy, super-fun podcast called The Extra Shot. Amanda, making tell listeners what you cover on the show. We talk about the hottest new topic in digital marketing or social media and how it's going to affect your business and how you can utilize it to get more sales. We also discuss the internet winner of the week, the internet loser of the week and if you share your thoughts and opinions with us then you'll get to plug your business on the show and where can people subscribe you can find the show at marketingpodcasts.net i'm saying because that's marketing podcast with an s on the end dot net or search for the extra shots wherever you get your podcasts you heard them go subscribe Hey everyone, you are listening to another episode of the All Things Private Practice Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Casal. I'm joined today by Jessica Crunkleton. She is an LMFT, LCPC, CADAC2, all the acronyms in the world. And uh, today we are going to talk a little bit about what it's like for her own life experience, both as a person of color and therapist of color in the EMDR training rooms, uh, becoming a trainer. Uh, someone with ADHD. So we're going to see where this conversation goes. And it, I'm really excited to have you on. Glad to be here. Really wanted to have you on because like your social media is so fun to follow. And it just cracks me up like your posts and your memes and your gifts <laughs> that you share constantly. So I was like, I got to reach out and see if she wants to come on. Yeah, you got to have fun with it. I think that's the name of the game is uh, you got to have fun with it. You gotta, the humor, I think, helps get through a lot of difficult things in life. So I try to use that a lot. Absolutely. Totally. So tell the audience a little bit about who you are and where you are and what you do. Yeah, so uh, I'm Jessica Crockleton. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, licensed clinical professional counselor, addiction counselor, uh, sand trait therapist, EMDR trainer in training, a whole bunch of stuff. I'm located near St. Louis, Missouri. Um, I have a private practice in O'Fallon, Illinois, and I specialize in trauma-informed attachment-based therapy for kids, teens, adults, couples, families, and groups. And I say, ADHD is my superpower. Um, so I love to mix it up. So I work with a kid and then a couple and a family, and I really enjoy that. And I also do sand tray therapy with kids, but I also do it with clients of different ages. So, and I'm also an area clinician for the Drug Enforcement Administration, the DEA. So I do EAP services for them. Um, so I like to mix it up. I've got a bunch of different things going. Um, yeah, love it, love it, love it. I was going to say before you said that, that that's a very, <laughs> that's a very ADHD bio of like, <laughs> hey, I have all of these licenses and credentials and all of these interests, and I like to incorporate all of them into the mix. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because again, for me, uh, when I think about it, I only do stuff that's fun. Like I really, I'm not in it for the money, even though I do you know, well for myself, it's really about following your passion. And like before I was with you, I was just doing consultation with people all over the U.S. I love this stuff. I love this. And it's it's great to be able to give back, to use our gifts. And so, yeah, and it's cool to be able to make money off of your gifts. So I found a way to do that, created my own lane. And yeah, just I'm, I'm diving in and I'm living the dream. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I do think it is fun when... <laughs> When you're able to make money using your gifts, like you said, yeah. and, um, tell before we started recording, you were telling me a little bit about, you know, 
your ADHD diagnosis. And we were not, I was not expecting to have that conversation today, but I actually think yeah. it's an interesting one given my audience and you, you were diagnosed early in childhood. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I was diagnosed. Yeah. Probably by like eight or nine, I was already diagnosed. Um, but there were some challenges, I think, with my mom acquiring the medicine or even accepting my diagnosis. So I wasn't always medicated and I had a really hard time. My handwriting was very sloppy, I remember, and just slowing down because my brain is going 100 miles an hour and my desk was very, was very messy. So I was always one of those kids who like once a month uh, we go for recess, if you they would tell us to keep our desk clean and, and I never would. So my desk always got dumped. So that's part of my trauma story. Um, but, you know, that that was it. And so I've struggled with, I think, lifelong acceptance of that type diagnosis. But as so I've really just kind of came to the place of, you know, I know I'm a strong black woman and I can do a lot of things. But this is one of those that I'm going to need help. So getting medication, taking that regularly has been really helpful just to help me normal, normalize and be myself. It's really helped me to be more focused. So. Uh, that was a, a difficult thing um, for me to just be accepting of that. But now I'm, I'm totally cool with it. So, yeah. Sounds like you embrace it now yeah. and really appreciate some of the the benefit that comes with a brain yeah. that works differently. Yeah, I, I think that so many business owners relate who are neurodivergent, whose brains are very creative and moving very quickly, especially when you're excited about something. Yes. Um, and you're able to think outside the box, but think I'm thinking about how traumatizing and shame inducing it would be as a child to like, be like, Hey, we're going to dump your desk out in front of the class. Yeah, it was, it, it can be very difficult when I think back on what it was like having ADHD as a child, especially as a person of color oh, there. It's almost like either you're saying you're rational or you're crazy, like you on the sixth floor and you don't want to be like that. So it's almost like we didn't, as I think back, we didn't really talk about the diagnosis. We, it was just like, I was, they knew I was really smart, but then I would struggle in certain ways. Like I would do the assignment and just wouldn't get turned in, you know? Right. So um, yeah, it, it was really difficult and feeling like it was something wrong with me. You know, am I broken? Why is my brain not working like everyone else's. So definitely it's very difficult. Yeah, very difficult. And, you know, I imagine as a young black child with ADHD, there were probably a lot of inaccurate labels that were placed upon you even before the diagnosis or after the diagnosis. And oh yeah. Yeah. So often see mm -hmm. the um, the communities, the people of color and women or female identifying persons and people in the queer communities who are misdiagnosed and ADHD and autism are missed constantly mm -hmm. because so much of the testing and research is, is really geared towards cishet white boys. Mm -hmm. And so that journey as a child, it sounds like that was, that was definitely a struggle. And you had mentioned before we started recording, even the, the acceptance around the medication component was really hard in the family system because yeah. It's like, hey, I don't want to rely on this thing to help me show up or we don't want to rely on the medication to to make myself, quote unquote, normal in society. Yeah. And it's, it's this thing of, I think also, and I said this as a parent, we have children who are neurodivergent, so we've also went through this journey as well. There's a point of, did I do something wrong? Like, I think my mom went through that of, is there, what does this say? Because if this happens to your child, obviously you must have did something wrong. 
And I went through that as well, even as a clinician. And it's like, oh, you know what? This is just my child's journey. I'm going to be supportive, but not focusing on that. But I think she struggled with that a bit more. Um, and so, yeah, there, there's all these things that you have to go through and kind of work through in your brain, trying to make sense of what this is, what this means. And this is a lifelong thing. This is something I'll probably may have to take medicine the rest of my life, you know, to help me be functional in the way that I would like. So I can show up and, and turn in all my paperwork and all that, get paid for the, the great work that I actually do. So yeah, there, there is a lot that goes with that, but I think definitely for me in a place of acceptance, I'm here. I have an amazing, powerful brain. And that's why I feel like, you know, especially with patterns of therapy, because I, I catch on to that all, you know, it just makes sense to me because I could just study this all day and never get bored with it. So there are benefits to it. I love that reframe. And I yeah. think that, you know, for, for our audience, there are a lot of neurodivergent people listening because I also co-host the Divergent Conversations podcast with Dr. Neff and we talk about our own autistic ADHD journeys and mm -hmm. just the realities of like what you just said is actually, um, I've had a similar experience where my, my family members have been, uh, weren't exactly accepting at first of my autism diagnosis, because I think again, like you said, it was like, what did I do wrong? Like, what did I miss? Yeah. What did I do wrong? And, and that's certainly not what, what I want as an adult. And I've learned really to accept and appreciate the way my brain works comparatively instead of focusing on all the struggle areas all the time. And it sounds like a lot of this led to your passion and journey and desire to get into the EMDR training and consulting realm where you're helping people mm -hmm. learn how to incorporate trauma modalities to work through a lot of these experiences that may have happened either in life or through genetics and intergenerationally. Absolutely. Yes. And I, and I, I think when I, it was interesting, it's funny, when I first went to the EMDR training, in fact, first of all, I thought it was a scam. This this is a little scammy. It sounds a little suspect, right? Sure, it's sure. Pyramid scheme. You can yeah. you know, wave your fingers and I, that doesn't even sound right. Like we're not even trained like that. We're trying to talk to somebody and they feel better. But I would right. say for me as a clinician, I was in Gary, Indiana. That's where Michael Jackson was born, the family. There's a lot going on there. That's the space I was in. They had me all over six counties in Northwest Indiana, driving all over, seeing all these people. And I would notice when I was talking to them, they were not feeling better. For some of them, they would. And for others, uh, the foster parents would say, hey, Jessica, can you please not talk about Johnny's mom this week? It's really hard for him. We have a hard time with him after you leave. And I was like, there's got to be more out there. So I went to the EMDR training. And I was excited about it, but there was also this sense of nobody in this room looks like me. There are 16 people. They're all white. There was no videos of any person of color. I didn't know anybody that was a person of color doing EMDR. Um, and it just, I, I didn't want to, you also have the people in Gary, a lot of them who I work with, they had complex PTSD. I don't want to make this even worse. So for honestly, for the first year of my EMDR training, I didn't use it beyond resourcing because I was so afraid that I was going to mess somebody up and it was going to be my fault and I'm responsible for everything that's my negative lead. And also as a person of color, am I good enough to do this? I see my white colleagues and they can do it, but I don't know if I'm good enough because I don't even see anybody that looks like me doing this modality. But thankfully I was able to find my own EMDR therapist. We worked through a lot of this stuff because I had done talk therapy, but never EMDR. We worked a lot of my trauma history, which that's what it was tied to, me feeling responsible for everything, me feeling like I wasn't good enough. And once that was done, it was like the first year, 
I did over 100 people, kids, teens, adults. Everybody was getting EMDR, maybe not standard EMDR, but contained or EMD. But I was helping all kinds of people. And, you know, my, my African-American clients, BIPOC, LGBTQIA+, plus, just all these populations, I was able to offer them hope. And so it was just a beautiful journey. But yeah, it took me a long time to, to work through that and having the ADHD and finding structure. Um, but that's also why I love EMDR because it is structured. It has eight phases. And so I can look at, I can see a video of somebody doing EMDR and I can tell you what phase they're in because it is structured, but not so structured that you can't have fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine one, the structure helps with an ADHD brain who needs mm -hmm. some, some, some guidelines at times to mm -hmm. kind of create accountability and, and checks and balances. Yeah. Um, I really want to hone in on that point you made though, like being one of only 16 and not seeing anyone that looks like you, like this is yeah. not an uncommon experience. We're, we're mm -hmm. certainly seeing more rooms of people of color who are participating in um, trauma modalities, trauma training, stuff like that. But I have a very close friend who I was talking to you about before um, who experiences this still consistently and whose ideas are not always taken seriously, who mm -hmm. has to pick and choose like, when do I want to really share my perspective on this modality mm -hmm. versus when do I want to just shrink back and like, just not participate because I know yeah. how it's going to be received. Yeah, that's a tough one. And, and I think I went through that as well. Um, but I think I remember we were having trainers meeting and I'm looking around and, and most of them are white or older, 20, 30 more years experience than me. And I was like, I don't even know, should I be here? I don't know if I belong. But then as I did my own EMDR work and then I would go back to the meetings and I'm like, oh, there's my friend such and such and there's such and such. And I realized even though I'm in my 40s, some of them might be in their 60s, the life experience that I bring to the table, the story that I have, the gifts that I have, that contributes so much. And so looking at myself through that lens and, and what I've realized is that, you know, um, you, you can't contribute if you don't talk, if you don't speak up. So I'm not going to let any of those things stop me. Um, from speaking up, I'm just gonna, you know, what do they say? Fake it till you make it or whatever I got to do. I'm going to get in the conversation because that's part of the reason if I'm not here, then not only does my voice not get heard, but all these people I represent, their voices does, doesn't get heard. That means things don't change. So I have to speak up and I've noticed that people really appreciate it and they do listen. So I think you just have to get in there, even if that means um, maybe someone's not going to like me. I'm going to ruffle some feathers. So I don't want to do the group thing thing. I'm going to get out there and say, hey, wait a minute. I think, especially as someone with ADHD, before you make this change or as a neurodivergent person or as a person of color, I want you to consider blah, 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 because there may not be anyone else at the table saying that. Yeah. I love that. And I believe that advocacy at its purest form is showing up and speaking up and and kind of laying that groundwork, especially when there are not people who are doing those things. So I, I really, really applaud that. And I think that's so crucial. And it, it sounds like it's really allowed you to kind of have a completely different perspective shift in the work that you do these days. Like there's obviously a ton of passion behind all of the different yeah. projects you've got going on. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Making Sang and Amanda Webb host a high-energy, super fun podcast called The Extra Shot. Amanda, Making. 
tell listeners what you cover on the show. We talk about the hottest new topic in digital marketing or social media and how it's going to affect your business and how you can utilize it to get more sales. We also discuss the internet winner of the week, the internet loser of the week. And if you share your thoughts and opinions with us, then you'll get to plug your business on the show. And where can people subscribe? You can find the show at marketingpodcasts.net. I'm saying because that's marketing podcast with an S on the end, dot net. Or search for the extra shots wherever you get your podcasts. You heard them. Go subscribe. And now, pause for a word from our sponsors. Most of you who are listening are probably private or group practice owners. I know how important it is to save money in your business. And I also know how important it is to have live, quality, responsive customer service. That's why we switched our entire group practice from a well-known EHR to Therapy Notes last year. If you're coming from another EHR, Therapy Notes makes the transition incredibly easy, importing your demographic data free of charge so you can get going right away. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot.com and Google. Find out what more than 100,000 mental health professionals already know and try Therapy Notes for two months absolutely free. Just go to therapynotes.com and enter promo code ATPP. They also have e-prescription software available and included, meaning that you do not have to have separate platforms for your medical billers and your medication management team. This is incredibly helpful, and it makes sure that everything feels streamlined. Go to therapynotes.com and enter promo code ATPP. Yeah, I think, again, as, as, as the more I've shown up as myself, the more I found people will embrace it. Are there some that don't? Yes, I've run into that. I've run into people who say, you know, once I had someone say that, that I was aggressive. And um, for a moment, I paused and I thought about it. And I was like, that's not true. That's not my stuff. That's their stuff. And so I do think as you step forward, as you, because I think coming from my childhood and the trauma, my A score is like a nine or 10. It's really high. So the way I got through it sometime was to shrink myself, just to you be quiet. Right. You don't say too much. You keep your head down, stay low. Even though I was, I was honestly quite gifted, but I just wanted to keep low, just keep a low profile. That way I don't upset anybody. And that's what I found is that was robbing me of sharing my gifts and being my whole self. So now I show up, I have my big hair. I got my glasses, I got my outfits, I wear my braids, I show up as me. This is who you're going to get. Whether you love it or you hate it, I'm going to be me. I'm going to show up and be me. And I found that the more I'm willing to show up and be me and to be authentic, the more others are willing around me to do the same thing. Absolutely. It kind of allows people to take up more space. Yeah. And gives permission to say, hey, you can do this. You can show up authentically. And you deserve to be there. And I have, and, and I'm not just at the table because I used to fear, well, well, people think I'm just here because I'm black. That's not it at all. My credentials are impeccable. I work extremely hard. Everything mm -hmm. that I've got was none of this was handed to me. I'm a first generation college graduate. I come from the projects, no father in the home. By the time I was 25, I had four kids, never been married by four different men. There's a whole lot to that. Um, but I found a way, even living in the projects, to still go to school, to still do what I needed to do when people told me, oh, you're not going to do it. You're just going to school for money, to find a way to find funding to pay for my education, 
to to do all these things. And so I'm I'm not going to let what some people think about me or believe about me to stop me. I'm there for a reason. I have something to contribute and people really appreciate that. Um, maybe they don't like it at first, but usually when they think about it, like, you know what, maybe Jessica is right or, you know, and be willing to listen to others too. So I think you just have to show up. You have to find a way to be authentic. And if you can't do that within that space, then you need to go find a space or create a space where you can. I love that. Mm-hmm. I I think that is a, a, a just really, really powerful statement for all yeah. of you listening. Um, and it brings me to another point, you know, when we're starting to think about, you mentioned a couple of times now, I felt like I didn't belong. I felt like I don't, I'm not qualified enough. I'm not good enough. That was my own stuff coming up. But ultimately, like a lot of this imposter syndrome that ex- is experienced by, especially people of color is like, this is all rooted in colonialism and racism, right? So like, yeah, yeah. it has nothing to do with your credentials or your experience, yeah. or your expertise. It's just like, this society was founded in a way that was not conducive to having people of color in the room. And it makes so much sense why you would sit there initially and look at those 15 other faces and be like, I don't fucking belong here. Like what's happening. I'm not, I don't think I'm qualified enough when in reality you're more than qualified enough. Absolutely. And also you have to remember, I came from the South. I'm from Arkansas. The Ku Klux Klan headquarters is two hours away from my hometown, literally. And I was always taught do not, be there after dark. It was some downtown. And so when you grow up in that that whole environment, that whole the way that I grew up, there was actually never, I remember I talked to some of my friends in grad school and I asked them, you know, what was the plan for your life? Their plans was always to include college. That's what their their parents had planned for them. There was no plan for me to go to college. The highest I was expected was maybe to work at the chicken plant, okay foods, which is in my my hometown area. That was the most that was expected of me. And so I tried that path. I was like, I really don't like this. This is hot. It's a lot of work with your hands. This ain't me. And then I tried school twice, failed out. It didn't work. And then I said, I'm going to try it one more time. I got these babies. We got to make it. This is great. I got to do this. I got to do it. Third time was a charm. But yeah, it is very much this sense of, I just got to figure out how to do this. I'm going to figure out a way to make, make my way. And I don't care who doesn't like it or who doesn't agree with me. I'm just going after it and and I deserve to be here. I deserve the spot. I fought for this. This is mine. Um, so that really had to come from internal versus having this sort of team of people in the beginning to, yes, you can do it and all of that. I didn't have that. I didn't have that. So it's powerful um, because it sounds like having to resource within yourself a lot of the time yeah. and really dig into that strength that you've always had. Yeah, and it was there. Then there is there generationally. There were things that my family members have told. My grandmother was 91 when she died. There were so many stories of things that she had to overcome being from the South. Uh, my grandmother was illiterate. We never talked about that as a family, but she always, she was. She was very proud of me and the things that I accomplished and encouraging me to move forward. But there also was that sense, again, as, as a Black woman, and this is sometimes people of color, and I think different groups experience this, I'm now I'm educated. Okay. But now am I like white people? Am I bougie? Am I, oh, now you, you're educated. Oh, you bougie now. You're not like us. So there's this whole deal that it really can, it's like a mind fuck. It really messes with you of who am I? And, and, and so I, now I don't, didn't quite fit in my own community. I felt like in some ways, um, because I like these certain things and they didn't like them. And then now I'm really getting into books and getting educated. Now they're really telling me I don't belong. But then, you know, who am I? What am I? 
And there was a whole journey with that and trying to figure out who I am and how I show up in the world. And, and I feel like I've gotten to that place, but it's really hard. A lot of people of color, I think, struggle with that. Uh, okay, now you're educated, which is great, but now you can't relate to us in the hood. And, and I always tell people I'm from the project. That's where I came from. It will always be a part of me. You can't take that away from me. That's a part of me. And no matter how many credentials I have, I'm always have that and I'm very proud of that. And I never hide it. Um, but I don't have to stay there now. Right. I'm growing. I'm going to keep growing, but I'm going to try to help bring y'all with me, but I, I'm going to keep growing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's another powerful statement too. And you're, you're also talking from a place of like being multiply marginalized, right? Like, so yeah. Um, yeah. a black woman who's also neurodivergent, like, so there's these pockets where it's like, where the identity and the forming of identity is constantly being questioned of like, where do I belong? Yeah. Where do I fit in? Yeah. And it sounds like doing a lot of introspection and just work along the way and having a lot of acceptance for all parts of yourself and yeah. showing up as authentically as you can. Yeah, I think that that was hard. And also for me coming from like a Christian background, um, struggling with sexuality. So I'm married to a man, love my husband and all that. Um, but I, I am attracted to others. I, I identify as pansexual. And I would say that was hard too. In fact, I don't think I've ever really, yeah, I don't know how much I've, like my husband knows, some family members know, but even with that, who am I? Like, how does that show up? Am I going to hell? Like all these things because of where you come from and how that shows up. So I think, yeah, all these things have been a journey and trying to figure all that out. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that your story is a powerful one. And I hope that to those of you listening, just hearing that yeah. you can you can fight through some of this stuff when you don't have a lot of people in your corner, you can certainly find that the extra gear, or that strength to pull yourself out if you want to pursue the, your passions. It sounds like your passions were always going to take you elsewhere outside okay. of the chicken plant for sure. Yeah. And it's wonderful to see that because I think we need to see more people showing up authentically, especially in spaces where it is dominated by cishet white men or women. And I really do believe that. Like, I know when my wife's looking for a therapist in Asheville, scroll through page after page after page, and there are no, no therapists who look like her. Mm -hmm. And that's demoralizing. And I think it's just really wonderful to start seeing people showing up in spaces and being and taking up space. Yeah. And we belong there. And I think that was a struggle for me in grad school. The grad school I went to was John Brown in Salem Springs, Arkansas. Awesome grad school, great program. But I think I was one of like two Black people in my cohort and some came later. But I remember in our group therapy class, you had to pick a topic and mine was being a Black woman and worrying with white people, with, with clients, would they be want to see me? Would that be an issue? And my colleagues who were, who were all white, they said, well, Jessica, we don't see you as a black woman. We just see you as a great student. And at the time I remember thinking, well, that's great. Cause they don't, but then now as I think about it, but I am a black woman. Right. You have to see that part of me. You can't just, just you have to see me as a black woman. For sure. In order to see me, you got to see that part of me too. And not just. That's very yeah. dismissive of your own identity yeah. and experience too, right? To say like, yeah, well, we just see you as a student. But in reality, society, when looking at your profile picture, is going to identify based yeah. on what you look like a lot of the times. Well, and so, I think there was there was something to that. Um, 
we don't talk about, like there's this color blindness thing. And that's something yeah. that I think I overcome all the time as I'm doing my consultation calls. We talk about race, identity, um, sexual orientation, gender, all these things as I'm talking about clients. I want to know all that because we can't treat everybody, cisgender, white, uh, heterosexual male. That's just us. That's not it. So we have to be more open to acceptance of people. Uh, absolutely. However, they show up. Absolutely. I love this conversation and and really the takeaway I'm I'm kind of getting out of it is the all parts thing, like just really yeah. loving all parts of yourself and embracing all parts of yourself, all parts of your identity and and showing up as authentically as you can, because that's transcendent and has a ripple effect. It has a, an effect that goes beyond the one-on-one -on -one therapy room. It goes yeah. beyond the one-on-one -on -one consultation. Absolutely. Uh, I, I definitely think it, it's, it's important to show up with all parts of you being able to be fully who you are, but that is certainly a journey I think we all go through in life. Um, and some people don't get there. They don't ever get to really be the authentic who they are. And so that's one of the things I really love about my journey is in spite of all the shit that I went through in childhood and all those things um, that I get to be me. And I am unapologetically me. I show up. This is who I am. I am in a larger body. Um, you know, sometimes people talk about that as well. But I, I feel I'm a beautiful Black woman just as I am. And, um, you know, maybe I'll get smaller someday. Who knows? Maybe I won't. But however I show up, I'm still beautiful. I'm still smart. I'm still important. All those things. And I think um, as I'm working with my clients, that's definitely something that that I work with them on to embrace themselves fully because I notice a lot of people struggle with that as well. And in my consultant calls that I do uh, for EMDR, helping the consultants work through those same barriers to show up as themselves, to help them clients do the same thing. Absolutely. I love that. And I think that's a really powerful statement to kind of wrap up on. And I hope that everyone who listened can really absorb some of Jessica's energy and what she's putting out into the world because it's really, really powerful and, and very, very necessary. Also, I just realized you have like a little gizmo doll. Is that yeah, what it oh is? yeah, gizmos here. We've got gizmo. He helps out with sessions and also ETs up there. Uh, and then we got a little fake dog over here. This is Ebony. She gives me no problems. Amazing. I have two dogs who are fighting each other in front of my feet yeah. right now, and I'm trying. Oh no! Okay, cool. Them yeah, yeah. Ebony, she, she is house trained. She just kind of sits up there and looks pretty. So yeah, they all get along. And then we got Budo over on this side. Yeah, we got all kinds of stuff here. Yeah. This is uh, when I get deep dives into like neurodivergent folks' uh, like office spaces and get to yeah. see all their like special interests behind them. <laughs> and I think it's really lovely. Like all behind me is like Hobbit stuff, Game of Thrones stuff, Anthony Bourdain stuff. Um, there's Lord of the Rings stuff all over my office. So, so yeah, yeah. I see these uh, behind the scenes things now that we're all like working remotely. Yeah. And I found that it can be really helpful for me. As I look at my happy place pillow, but also my clients and consultants are like, wait a minute, is that Gizmo? And I'm like, yes. And they're like, that is freaking awesome. Can I have them? No, you can't have Gizmo. <laughs> he hangs out here. He lives here. You get right. some like it. But yeah, you can't have Gizmo. He stays here. Yeah. It's a good jumping off point too when you have these like shared special interests because it really does yeah. um, create a, a layer of lessened vulnerability. Um, like people will ask me about this painting over here. here. Yeah is a picture of the hound and Arya from Game of Thrones with my face and my wife's face on it. And it's ridiculous. Yeah, I, was looking at I that. love it. And that I can see it in awesome. my peripheral all the time. So 
Yeah, it's freaking awesome. I love it. And then also, you know, I'm not like this stuffy shrink who's looking down my nose. I'm a fun person. I'm just like anybody else. We're just here to help people with problems. So, yeah. I love that too. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jessica, thank you so much for coming on and just sharing your story and, and so much great advice and support and, and wisdom. If you have anything you want to share with the audience where they can find you, if they want to work with you, any of that stuff. Yeah, I'm on, if you're on LinkedIn, you can find me on LinkedIn, Jessica Crockleton. I'm on there. I'll accept your uh, request to join. I'm on Facebook. I have a Facebook page. I'm on Instagram and TikTok, uh, Resource Queen 1913. Shout out to Delta Sigma Theta Sorority. That's my sorority. Anyway, yeah, so you can find me on there. And um, I'm on Psychology Today. I think I have one. I'm not accepting people, but I will start accepting new clients September the 1st. Um, I'm going to start accepting a new new round so i know some people are and i'm on um therapy for black girls um so yeah september 1st i'll be open up to accept some new people and i'm always looking if you're interested in doing emdr consultation uh, if you're looking to complete basic training i work with emdr consulting and i'm thinking hopefully by next year i'll be able to do my own training so i'm excited about that definitely going to have a diverse team um, because i think that is so important but in the meantime, I do do some coaching for others and some training. So, uh, yeah, those are some places, some spaces that you can find me. So definitely please reach out. I'd love to hear from you. Love that. Lots of different interests going on behind the scenes. So love that as well. Um, all of Jessica's information will be in the show notes. So you all have easy access to links and information in case you do want to pursue working with her in any capacity that she just mentioned. Thanks again for coming on and sharing your story. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, Pastor. And to everyone listening to the All Things Private Practice podcast, new episodes are out every single Saturday on all major platforms and YouTube. Like, download, subscribe, and share. Doubt yourself. Do it anyway. See you next week. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Jessica. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? May King Sang and Amanda Webb host a high-energy, super fun podcast called The Extra Shot. Amanda, May King, tell listeners what you cover on the show. We talk about the hottest new topic in digital marketing or social media and how it's going to affect your business and how you can utilize it to get more sales. We also discuss the internet winner of the week, the internet loser of the week and if you share your thoughts and opinions with us then you'll get to plug your business on the show and where can people subscribe you can find the show at marketingpodcasts.net i'm saying because that's marketing podcast with an s on the end dot net or search for the extra shots wherever you get your podcasts you heard them Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.